You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 11. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number 11. I'm Will, and you know her from her latest role as a time-traveling robotic babysitter who needs enough (laughs) cash. Who needs enough cash to get back to her own planet and her own kids, but one of the Earth kids wants to go with her. Go see her in her new movie. It's Rebecca! Air Orc! Air or I forgot everything that you said. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate because I was going to ask you how you prepared for your new role. I eat a lot of cats. <laughs> well, in real life, what's going on with you? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, Any celebrity sightings, perhaps? Well, you know, this year has done a real number on us. And our concept of celebrity, I feel, has definitely been warped in general because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, that terrible Imagine video that all the celebrities came out with when COVID started uh-huh. happening has proven once and for all that celebrity is an outmoded concept as we know it. <laughs> and I feel like most of us are just like, we got to make do with the people who are walking down our street. Like our neighbors are the celebrities. We do a lot more gulping out of our windows at who's walking down the street. Yeah, I've been being good. I've been staying at home, you know? And so the celebrities are which dogs walked by. Coco is a celebrity. When we were preparing for this earlier, I was wondering if you were going to mention Coco. That was the top celebrity I could think (laughs) of. The top celebrity in the neighborhood. That's the most popular creature in our neighborhood is this dog that our dog loves for some inexplicable reason. He Porter loves Coco, the little... Uh, is it the dachshund or a little he's, hot dog dog? Maybe he's a little chihuahua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's a little, a little brown dog. Well, I don't he know. He loves him. Yeah, he loves Coco. He can't get enough of Coco. And that does kind of make me laugh because, like, I don't know what one dog likes about another yeah. dog. Like, why he prefers Coco to other dogs. But they're just, they're vibing with each other. Coco's a celebrity. Come walk down our street, pee in our yard. Like, our dog loves it. Mm-hmm. Coco's a celebrity. Um, you know, we've got our neighbors who are crazy about yard work and the neighbors always trying to get his sons to like have a business empire where they're mowing yards and like cutting hedges and yes, stuff. Yes, he buys, he invests in several lawnmowers at a time. He's always trying to bargain up for doing more in your yard if you, if you give him any quarters to do stuff. Yeah, trying to, trying to get his kid over here to, to do yard yeah. stuff and they have a baby. That we, we think call- the baby's starting a lawnmower yeah. empire. The baby we see outside, we call her outside baby and <laughs> we think outside baby's going to have her own yard care mm-hmm. empire as well. He takes her to survey his work. At the end of the day, he tooks the baby around. He's like, see, new sprinklers. Soak that in. Yeah, she needs a bubble mower. We have the uh, the neighborhood dad next to us. Yeah, he's kind of a celebrity. There's one who's more of a legend. I don't think he lives here anymore, but there was Bloodbeard for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's the hot lady power walker. Yeah. You know, we, well, you don't see her often, but she does come out, and it's just notable because she dresses real cute to go do her power walking. Is I this just the tube top lady? Yeah, the tube top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and she, she often wears crops and, like, yeah. you know, nice little coordinated outfits outfits mm-hmm, and she's got mm-hmm. her her high pony and she's like looking all good which is funny because this is a town of people who dress like crap like <laughs> this is not this is not a glamorous town we live in so it's funny and she's a celebrity because it's like who she thinks she is putting on airs outside with the makeup on anyway lots of celebrities lots of celebrities around just it just depends on where you look for them Rebecca, I bet people can figure out what we're talking about today, but let's make it official. What are we talking about? On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the celebrity archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. This one required some discussion because uh, we were kind of going back and forth on what we meant by celebrity. There are a few ways to look at this. So for our list, how should we define a celebrity? And then maybe I have a couple of tests for us for fun. 
So for me personally, it's somebody who appears in the public eye. Uh-huh. Um, their persona is well known outside of their like circle, uh-huh. immediate circle. And I feel like they have to court their fame somehow. Like, uh-huh. I feel like someone who was inadvertently made famous is mm-hmm. not a celebrity. This is someone who is actively trying to be well known. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, I found one pretty good definition. It was some, some sort of wiki-type article where they were citing from this new book called Dead Famous, and I picked out three things that are pretty similar. They're widely known because of media coverage. Uh, their life is dramatically consumed by the public. And three, their brand is profitable for whoever is trading on their popularity. Oh, okay. But but that's pretty similar. And you know what? I think we could distill all that down to like fame is the point of their actions. Okay. Like I said, it's not it's not incidental. The 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 intent their intention is to generate more uh, acclaim. Okay, yeah, and and for our list, we're doing sort of fictionalized representation. Yes. Oh, yes. Probably the most important thing to say. Those these people. are fictional celebrities. Yes. It is interesting, the thing that you just said about being more famous is the point of their activities. That is definitely different from just who we considered famous in the early days, right? Because the concept of fame, or the word for it, dates back at least to, like, the Romans. Um, And I'm sure it dates back to literally forever ago, because it's like... Hey, did you hear about Krog? You know, he killed a great beast. What? And then other people are like, that beast was already weak and <laughs> injured. I no think Krog any special. And then yeah, you had to be. Krog. Yeah, prior to like mass media stuff, you'd have to be a legend uh, through word of mouth, and you may or may not be real. Yeah, or, that's hard to get famous <laughs> that way. Yeah. You gotta have like word of mouth. You know legend? what I heard is me is real good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, did you hear Odysseus went on a sea voyage? Like that's hard to do to get famous before the the time of mass media. <laughs> that's very funny to think about. Or you had to, or you had to be somebody who was able to have your words recorded and disseminated somehow. Yeah, like a philosopher. Right. They could be famous. Um, you had to literally perform a miracle because a saint could be famous yeah. in the in the medieval times. Like Somebody wrote about you. Actually, Alexander the Great did have uh, people in his uh, court specifically for that reason to record his deeds. So yeah, in case would, he does a yeah. little miracle so he can be, you know, like later on. Did everybody see that? Did everybody see you, it? Totally turn this water into wine. <laughs> you like, heard what the oracle said. <laughs> and if like, you didn't, here's what she said. They're like, did you though? You really want Plutarch to be following you around back then. But but yeah, so like the real flurry of celebrity as we know it, um, all came to be in bursts with each new mass media uh-huh. as it came about, you know? So, like, books um, in, like, the 1700s. Like, Voltaire was a celebrity. And then later on, it's, like, newspapers. And then it's, like, sound recordings. And then film. Like, these are... Each each new mm-hmm. medium brings with it a new flurry of celebrity. we've got our arms around it that's, I think so yeah too. that's good did you say you have a test case uh yeah and i think we i think our definition is pretty good it's so good that i think we probably will know the answer to this but what about somebody like um superman who's um publicly famous in a in a, in a fictional world i think in in his world he is a celebrity well he's well known i was gonna say but the celebrity is not the point for him oh well if you're going for our strict definition, I don't know, dude. I still think Superman's a celebrity. Okay. I don't. I don't know. Okay, you think you think you can reach such heights of fame that it doesn't matter if you if you were courting it or not? If you're not actively shunning the attention, okay. I think that's the same thing as courting the attention. Okay. And maybe, I think Superman is just over there, you know, secretly wanting to be more famous. And maybe he wants to use the fame for something noble. You know, seeking fame isn't necessarily a super fel- self- selfish, shallow thing. Yeah, that's true. He just wanted to do good deeds and okay. stuff. Okay. Actually, that was that was the main test case I was going to do. I was going to do, okay, what about Lex Luthor? Can, is it is celebrity always... Um, thought of like positively can does does infamy count as celebrity if you're actively courting it because i'd say elon musk is the same thing nowadays okay i mean in a non-fictional and lex luther i think definitely is a brand I yeah think. he is a brand and he became um president in the comic books in the same way we see politicians do and so that kind of makes sense to me too. I, th- I do think actively courting infamy does count as celebrity i don't have anybody evil on my countdown or do i 
but you know, I think you could. <laughs> okay. okay. Do do we have our arms around this one, or is there anything else you wanted to mention? Before I think we get that, into I, it? I think I'm ready. I think so Let's too. Let's do it. The, I, I will say this was a really interesting one, and I this is the one I may have spent the most time thinking about. Really, but I think I have some of the more interesting picks you uh, probably do because i really came up with like the first people i came <laughs> that's so funny i, I really with. thought hard See, about this, this is my revenge on having <laughs> to come up with like bugs for like you know like there's some that will's just like oh yeah i could come up with bugs all day yes. long like I, me i, I could come up with celebrities all day long okay well right. why don't you uh impress us and show us how good you are at thinking about celebrities dish dish on celebrities for us what's your first pick Number eight. Okay, at number eight, we're starting off with Greg Brady as Johnny Bravo, oh, the Brady Bunch. That's a really good one. It is, right? I don't understand. I'm part of a group. No, you don't understand. You're not you anymore. I don't follow. You are a superstar. You are the new Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. Johnny, Johnny Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> Okay, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I won't start talking. Okay, so we'll we'll just talk a bit about the Brady Bunch. I know everybody our age is probably pretty familiar because if you are an old millennial like we are, you'll remember that in the 90s, they started playing the Brady Bunch every day after school Mm -hmm. on like TBS on Mm -hmm. the the cable channels. So you're probably pretty familiar with the Brady Bunch. That's how I saw it. So this was a sitcom that ran on, I believe, ABC from 1969 to 1974, and it's about a blended family, you know, three girls, three boys, step-siblings, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be just a regular family sitcom. Of course, the Partridge family took off a couple of years into the run of the Brady Bunch, and so the uh-huh. writers were like, hey, let's just have them also sometimes sing songs. Because variety it, shows were, like, just blowing up. Oh, yeah, and that everybody wanted to see that garbage. Right. And so there were there were plot lines of various episodes where the kids were, like, in a musical group. Because also, if you have six kids total, that makes a good band. But in this one episode called Adios Johnny Bravo, mm-hmm. uh, Greg, the oldest son is plucked from the obscurity of his sibling band and chosen by a couple of music industry dirtbags to be the next teen <laughs> heartthrob star, uh-huh. Johnny Bravo. That was also a plot point in the that really good uh, 90s Brady Bunch movie, wasn't it? Yes, they definitely played with this in the... in oh, One of my favorite movies of all it's time... It's really good. ...is the 90s Brady Bunch film. Like, I really... I loved it for how 90s it was. So, I'm trying to remember... I don't know if you know the specifics of this episode, but I'm, I remember a lot of him, like, holding a guitar and uh, cheesing it up in the mirror type of stuff. That was definitely... Um, they made fun of him a lot in the 90s version. Yeah. For my first song, I'd like to sing a number I wrote for the grooviest chick at Westdale High. In the original sitcom, because I did just watch the scene to refresh my memory, it's kind of hilarious because they, they've got this scene where he's in the office of Tammy Cutler, like uh-huh. the industry scumbag number one, and um, she brings her fellow scumbag in and she's like, you got to check this kid out. Get a load of this guy. He's really groovy. Like, and they're using all this terrible slang that was mm-hmm. definitely artificial you and outdated. Yes. Yeah. Even for the time. Well, too much. <laughs> Out of sight. Dynamite. I asked my mom about that, whether they said groovy a lot. She said only to be funny. So, <laughs> so this was not a thing. Your mom was probably too embarrassed to say groovy she too much. She was a big fan of the Brady Bunch. So, But yeah, like in, in that episode, she's like, hey, get a load of this guy. He's great. And then they have, you know, they dub over him playing something very basic over and over, like two chords, like really repetitively on the guitar, like finger picked an electric guitar. It's very wrong. Uh-huh. It's like completely completely not anything and the other guy comes in he's like far out like i dig it it's groovy like and I was he, just he's acting like it was that, so amazing that's funny but anyway so the whole point of this is, is a commentary on manufactured celebrity okay right i like that because the reason why they pick greg and the thing that they keep saying to him throughout the episode is like it's like he's like well why me and they're like because you fit the suit and that's uh, what they keep saying to okay. him you know they give him this terrible outfit with some like epaulets and fringe and uh he thinks he's a real big shot until he realizes that he doesn't want what they're peddling 
that that reminds me of the the great advice I heard Henry Rollins saying that he heard from David Lee Roth that you have to sound like how you look or people will smell the BS. And so I think there's something to that. That is excellent advice. And this is probably something we'll talk about more throughout the countdown, but there is a real, um, the concept of celebrity really plays with authenticity a Uh lot. There Uh has to be some kind of, uh, element that reads as authentic to the audience, mm-hmm. even if you are yourself completely manufactured as a celebrity. Mm-hmm. So, especially now, and I, I was going to talk about that more later too. So, I think that's a really good point. Okay, so Johnny Bravo's kicking us off. I like it. He's the opener. Number seven. It's not too late. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You have to. Tracy, I'm a fraud. Do you know why I came back to the past? It wasn't a fight for justice. It was to get rich, be famous. I was a failure in the future, just like I am here. I'm not a superhero. Everything is about to be destroyed forever. And where are the other superheroes? Not here. You are. You're the only one who can do this. So do it. Okay, do you ever feel unappreciated in your own time? Maybe you're the universe's best laser ball player. I am. Or maybe you could talk to dinosaurs, but we will never know because you were born in the 80s. That's how my next pick felt. This is Booster Gold, the world's most famous superhero from the future, from DC Comics. Uh, Okay. Just tell me more. We know there are several comic book characters who are famous and even actors, but Booster is specifically seeking fame. He is the most fame-hungry of all the superheroes. I think the best way to describe him is that he's like the NASCAR of superheroes. He is a brand and in love with his own brand, and he wants to be a superhero specifically to become wealthy and a beloved celebrity. (laughs) Okay. So, so let's, let's picture him. He has blonde hair, a futuristic visor and jumpsuit, and this floating AI companion named Skeet. And Skeet can project a sizzle reel of Booster uh, for all the rubes in our own time so I we can get hyped about him. It's really Whoa, funny. Oh, I want that. <laughs> Skeet? Citizens of Metropolis, behold, Booster Gold. Traveling back through time from the year 2462 A.D., Booster Gold has come to battle today's wrongdoers. Booster Gold. How do you get that? Well, Booster in the 25th century was a promising football player but couldn't wait for his fame and fortune, so he bet on his own football games until he got caught and had to quit. Then... While working as a security guard at a museum for the future, he stole some future and alien tech to travel to the past. And this also explains why Skeet looks like a football, because he was a <laughs> he was a football player. <laughs> I love that he's like, I should use this technology to improve humanity. That he's like, nah. Well, in a way, he's a much more relevant character for DC Comics to be using than the other people they're pushing. It's kind of understandable because... DC is always focused on those mythological, legendary kind of characters, whereas Marvel was more of the real world stuff. But DC could be doing a lot more with him to talk about celebrity and and touch on the world we're familiar with uh, and maybe borrow on some of that (laughs) success that Marvel sees. I feel like DC could be doing a lot more with dot, dot, dot is an accurate (laughs) statement no matter what you say, but... Yeah, it sounds like there's like a lot of rich uh, topics and themes going on in there. Well, there really is because the best booster stories are the ones where he wrestles with being shallow or uh, being a a hero to actually help people. And there was a really memorable good Justice League Unlimited episode about that where, of course, he has to learn what being a real hero is about. And everyone keeps thinking he's the Green Lantern because of (laughs) his costume. And he's always begging... um, uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, to put him on an important mission so he'll get more attention, and John has to keep reminding him that that's not the point of what they do. That is the attitude that keeps you on the sidelines. You're right. It's not just about fame. What you pulled down last year, before taxes. And at the end, he doesn't even care that uh, he's like a little bit famous because he's understanding what the point of his being a superhero is supposed to be. Those are great stories, I think. That does sound like a surprisingly eloquent story. It really is. It was it was a good one. And, you know, I thought this was a good pick because we're all performing in some way or another right now. So 
it's good to ask yourself every now and then uh, why you want attention. It's it's normal and, and fine and natural to, to want attention, but you should be asking yourself um, why you want it and how far you're willing to go to get it sometimes, to get rich and buy more guitars or a boat. <laughs> Number six. Okay, you know I struggle to not have all of my picks be from the 80s, and I can't help it. Uh-huh. Okay. But well, we like the 80s. That's we fine. Like the, that's, I only had two from the 80s okay. this time. It's fine. So coming in at number six, I give you someone from my, one of my very favorite movies of all time, and that is Mary Fisher, She-Devil, uh-huh. 1989, mm-hmm. played by Meryl Streep. This is Robin Leach, and I'm here at the luxurious home of the super-glamorous romance writer, Mary Fisher. She's the woman who has everything. Beauty, fame. My books reflect my own experience of lovemaking as sacred and beautiful. All right, I have to watch the film She-Devil at least once a year. Love it. Could not love it more. I, I don't know. It's a really comforting movie for me. I love to put it on. And if you're... It's been a while since you've seen it or have not seen it. It's the story of a like spurned housewife played by Roseanne Barr getting a divorce from Ed Bagley Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meryl Streep is playing uh, the home-wrecking romance novelist, Mary Fisher. I have always loved the representation of celebrity in this film and especially the way that Meryl Streep plays it because... Her life is a ridiculous construction, and I adore everything about it. Like, the first thing you see about her, she's on an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, if Mm -hmm. if you remember that. Robin Leach wound up being in tons of movies in the 80s. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous! Yes, because that was just a a thing. If you had a celebrity in your film, like, they they had to pretend, like, they would go, like, get Robin Leach in here. Welcome to television's unchallenged authority on wealth, prestige, and success. And she lives in a gorgeous pink mansion by the seaside, like in the Hamptons. I was going to say, I picture her living in a Barbie dream house. It, was, it is it very lots much. Of like, it was like pink plastic. Everything looked like a pink plastic Corvette to me. Yes, it was very much that sort of, uh, I would I would call it 80s art deco revival kind of look, but everything really was like, like tons of fabrics, um, <laughs> draping everywhere, tons of marble. Um, all of that good stuff. And so the idea is, you know, she's a romance novelist who's made tons and tons of money. Her persona is so much of an affectation Mm -hmm. that the film is hilarious in that when she starts having stressors introduced into this perfect life, which, which is Ed Begley Jr. and his children, all of the cracks in the facade start to show and her wonderful cultivated persona starts to slip and and that's hilarious. Like that is comedy when someone has a very, very, very constructed Mm -hmm. persona that they can't keep up anymore. But I have always been completely just delighted by this character, particularly in one scene that shows her like, writing al fresco in her garden and she's got this pink clamshell laptop which didn't even exist at the time like they clearly dummied something up for the film and um she's typing on her pink laptop with the ocean in the background and she's got this amazing hat with netting and sunglasses and the default font that she's typing her romance novel on is this like ridiculous like (laughs) cursive script I guess I was just always very taken by this idea that you could have your personality cultivated to such a degree that you could just be this ridiculous, like, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. larger-than-life figure in your own Barbie dream house. Mm-hmm. And I just love her. Meryl Streep is hilarious. And I feel like she doesn't get enough credit as a comedic actress. Agree. Um, e- even when she's doing, like, serious roles like oh yeah what's the new what's the new one we saw where she's the mom of the guy in pretty little lies pretty little liars which we call big old liars yeah we call it big old liars just because we can't remember that's I can't what we can't remember wait hang on big little lies big little lies yeah <laughs> big old liars we call it big old liars but she has ostensibly it's a serious role but she's pretty funny because oh, yeah. because she's like a real person but that's very 
it's very funny the way she's very real. As oh the yeah, mother. she brings a lot of subtle humor yeah. to her roles. And, she's and really, really her funny. her role as Mary Fisher is like one, but like my all time favorite. Mm-hmm. I love that film. Gotta watch it all the time. And I guess it just really informed my idea of like what it meant to be a big shot, which uh-huh. is that you do have this ridiculous persona that you craft, and hopefully that you can ex- exercise extreme control over all of the conditions of your life by always <laughs> living beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like living aggressively beautifully. That's what I want for myself. Number five. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of all the Hollywood hunks and box office babes. <laughs> yeah. And you need something authentic sometimes, which is what we were talking about. Agree. Lucky for us, there's always the local celebrity. So I have a good local celebrity pick for us. Okay. My pick is Artie, the strongest man in the world, from the Nickelodeon TV show Pete and Pete. Another time, he protected us from the deadly wrath of the evil Mrs. Gillespie without even flinching. Uh, Your weapons are useless against me! He says his secret weapon is his costume. It's a 60-40 blend. You just take it out of the dryer, and instantly, you're ready to fight... To us, the world's a little bit safer with Artie on duty. Oh wow! Okay, I've not, you know, I've not thought about Pete and Pete for a while. I, uh, I did a, I did a little bit of reading to catch myself up about this. I, if nothing else, I think the thesis statement for that show is that Pete and Pete was like a hipster's dream come true. And more on that in a second. But the basic premise is that this was a live-action surreal comedy that ran from 1993 to 1996 about two brothers named Pete and their friend Ellen. And of course, the younger Pete had a personal superhero who was also a town gadabout named Artie, the strongest man in the world. So here's the deal with Artie. Artie was a tall, skinny man with glasses. He had a tight striped shirt and red long johns and some absurd, poorly understood superpowers. But he would always drop in to help the younger Pete with his catchphrase. I was like, Artie, the strongest man in the world. Artie, the strongest man in the world. And then he would help him with whatever ridiculous adventure he was having. And their adventures were always absurd. They were things like he had to help Pete beat up the ocean or they had to <laughs> they had to win a flashlight tag game or he had to fight uh, Pete's bully named Papercut who could make uh, origami throwing stars that would hurt people. So I'm trying to, okay, I know I used to watch Pete and Pete. Didn't like Michael Stipe play the ice cream man yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Like if I this was, was 93 to 96, mm-hmm. Michael Stipe was very busy during that period. <laughs> right. He had time to do that. It was incredible. Look. Aren't we here on the first hot day of every summer? Aren't we? Don't we carry 49 different flavorific flavors, including pineapple blurt? It was a very cool show. Uh, Iggy Pop was one of the dads yeah, in town. Yeah, that's right. Um, he always called people stooges. The kids, he called stooges. And uh, Michael Stipe, I think, was an ice cream man. Yeah, okay, yeah, I did remember that. And I think everybody remembers the really great super 90s, but legitimately pretty good theme song yeah. from this band named Polaris. In the intro, they're uh, playing their grunge music uh, on the front lawn on top of this, like, Roseanne plaid couch. Um, it, it was it was really cool, and they featured uh, music from bands like The Magnetic Fields and Apples in Stereo. Uh, they, they just really... That was, like, hipster. Yeah, it really was. Hipster dream come true before we even knew what hipsters were. I think so. The other cool thing about that show, I think, is that... At least for me, this was the first time I'd ever really experienced any media that was like um, surreal or satire. And it was really interesting and strange to wrestle with. They really rode that line between something realistic and something that was just completely absurd. And it was sort of, I think, important for kids to parse out to get more sophisticated as as (laughs) readers and listeners and stuff. I mean, they were like stories about the dad having to make his fingers do aerobics so his fingers could fit his um, legendary bowling ball again. And like I said, they had to beat Paper Cut, the bully, and things like that. It was really hard to understand. They talk about Joe Namath winning some game by digging his way out of an ice storm with his thumb and stuff like that. It was so strange. That is interesting, too, because I, what I also remember about that show is that um, the kids that they cast were so natural. They were really good. They re- like I, I do remember both the older and the younger brother just really having like a very natural presence about them. And They, they were not kid audition actors. They weren't actors. kid actors. They were not 
little Anakin's in a pod racer, you know. Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, this is exciting. I can see Coco right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's I'm looking, our local celebrity. I'm looking through the, the sliding glass door, and, and Coco's in his yard barking at something. Well, that brings me... Do you me- think he'll give us an autograph? <laughs> that brings me back to Artie. If we're going to... If we, if we need to focus on him as a celebrity, I think it's interesting that there's something about a culture of a specific place that allows certain people to stand out and thrive. Yeah. And like they, who would be a local celebrity yeah. in one locale would not necessarily somewhere else. That's exactly what I was going to say. They yeah. may or may not translate in another context, but here that person is a powerful brand. And in the Pete and Pete universe, that was a perfect ground for Artie, who is probably... A normal man and he just wears these like shrunken cotton clothes and it just made perfect sense so i think i think uh he was a, a really great local celebrity and it's fun it's interesting to think about those local celebrities too because uh you know this is often a stepping stone to become a, a larger celebrity and some people translate and some people won't number four starting to think cab drivers are hitting me on purpose no! I'm pretty but tough like a diamond or beef jerky in a ball gown. It's a circle of love. Sing along and hang along a Okay, at number four, I give you Titus Andromedon, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> so this is uh, a Netflix series. I'm, I, I, I feel the need to explain what things are just because everybody hasn't seen everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're all busy. Well, it's good to have a reminder in... Um know what you're thinking is important. So The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is a Netflix series where um, Ellie Kemper plays Kimmy Schmidt, who is a woman who was kidnapped in the late 90s and held in a doomsday bunker and then rescued in the present day and moves to New York to start her life. And Kimmy, despite all that she's been through, is a like goofy, naive optimist, despite everything. Um, and you know, it's, it's, her character is a real commentary on resilience through trauma, you know, in a comedic way, Mm -hmm. like for real, but anyway, but she's, you know, represents the naive, goofy, hopeful side of people coming to New York and her foil is her roommate, Titus Andromedon played by Titus Burgess. He kind of represents the cynical side of the city. Uh, somebody who's been in New York trying to make it big for so long that he's pretty much just lost all hope and is just clinging to whatever he can. He's he's de- he's delusional when it's helpful for him for survival reasons. Well, yeah, and <laughs> that's the thing to. about him is that he yeah he has this amazing grandiosity um, about himself. Everywhere he goes, he's a celebrity in his own mind, and in a way, isn't that all that really counts? Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Sometimes you have to embrace grandiosity in order to shield yourself mm-hmm. from like the pain of the world. Like really, I do truly believe that that's an important skill to have. And also to keep your eye on the prize and your ambitions calibrated the way you want them to be. You know, you need to um, act it until it becomes real. Yeah, yeah. Fake it till you make yeah. it, as they say. Yeah. And Titus is a great character for doing that. I mean, without talking about the whole arc of the show, he never stops trying. And um, the fact that he lives artfully in his daily life, I think, <laughs> is a big part of the appeal for the character. And I just, I, like when I don't know. he takes all his capes to goodwill. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's probably a good encapsulation of the, what that character is dealing with. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, there's not really a whole lot more to say about that, except for just the commentary that sometimes you have to be your own biggest fan mm-hmm. in order to get somewhere in life. That's great. And you've got to do it until other people believe you and agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I just love him for that. And it's a great character. If you've not watched it, he is a delight. Titus Burgess is hilarious. And he has this great video you can find on YouTube of him doing uh, the audition he would give if anybody ever gave him a chance to play Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, where he sings sings Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah, that was fantastic, too. Like, stellar talent. And then I do think they did a great job writing the character for him. Yeah. But, yeah, good stuff. I like that. His own biggest fan. I, I like that. Number three. Where do you get these guys? And the press says, I don't know how to do this stuff. Cut. All right, people, reset. We're back in 15 no, minutes. I'm not doing it again. No, what do you mean you're not doing it I mean, again? I'm not doing Johnny's it again. Johnny's the last shot of the picture. Where are you going? I'm going to my trailer. No, you can't leave I'm going to get a gun. Then I'm going to shoot no, 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 myself no, 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 for being in your movie. If you kill me, I'll be back directing traffic. 
Congratulations, Rebecca. Thank you. You have been selected to fight in a martial arts tournament on a secret island. What's one question you have about your upcoming trip? Will there be cake? <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> My next pick has been fighting in uh, this kind of tournament for the last 20 years. It's Johnny Cage action star and perennial fighter in the Mortal Kombat game series. Oh yeah, I forget that he, that you know they had characters outside of the, you know, Mortal Kombat. You just think of them as only existing during a They're fight. They're not just Mortal Kombats. Yeah. Well, I know. Like well, I, I figured Goro came from somewhere. <laughs> yes, he came from the outworld. <laughs> <laughs> they lean into the backstories a lot heavier than than, than when uh, we first we first played the game. Uh, and that's probably a good segue because before we talk about Johnny, we have to talk about living through the birth of Mortal Kombat. So where did you first experience this glory in about 1992? Well, I think I experienced it in 1993 and my little boyfriend who rode the same <laughs> school bus as me um, had a Super Nintendo and uh -huh. I saw him play it at, in his room, like at his house. Uh -huh. He had the Super Nintendo one without the blood. He also had a Squire Stratocaster that he was very proud of, mm -hmm. and he told me, he like called me, and he was like, I got a Fender Stratocaster, and I was very mad because I was competitive with him about playing guitar because I did it first and better. And you couldn't afford... Yeah, and yeah. I didn't have like a good one, and I was like, you did not, when I like, you liar. But anyway, um, that's where I found it, and that's where I learned about Goro and his many arms. <laughs> yes. God, Goro's such a great character design. <laughs> I saw Mortal Kombat first at a beach arcade when I was nine, uh, so I go in there uh, looking for, like, Galaga and stuff, and I see this photorealistic blue ninja pull a man's head off his shoulders <laughs> yeah. and couldn't marshal any coherent thoughts for, like, 20 minutes. I do think it's interesting that people our age do remember the first time they saw Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it like, was, I remember it was the, a game changer. Yeah, it was. It, even in my mind, I, it's not anything I'm interested in even today, but And I'm not I even going to go off on a tangent about how the media talked about this and everything, but, you know, it had the reputation at the time. We're like, are we going to let our kids watch this? But it, the, the makers of this knew it was camp. I mean, they were fans of kung fu movies and everything. And so eventually, while I'm watching this, I started thinking rationally. I was like, how am I going to tell my mother of a nine-year-old to pick up this game <laughs> with the blood men on the back cover and then make her tell some cashier she's buying it for her child? It didn't matter. It had to happen. It was a cultural moment. You had to have this game. And yes, I did eventually convince her to get it for me. I got the one on Genesis with the blood code, which any respectable person my age will still know. Uh, Rick, what's the Konami code? The, the the up up down down left right left right B A start. Good, yeah, I left love seven. that we used to have codes. I love, yeah. I love the codes. So I know the Konami. Mean, yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't have a say. Yeah. We we talked about this anyway. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, cultural moment. Everybody remembers where they were when when Mortal Kombat happened. So I'll I'll focus on Johnny now. Uh, we'll return to Mortal Kombat several times in future shows. <laughs> but let's talk about Johnny Cage. He's been a regular in the series since the first game. He's a movie star who wanted to revitalize his career by fighting on this in this tournament to improve his fighting skills so he could really impress the public. But then he gets caught up in saving the world from various outworld threats. He was modeled directly after Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport, which you can see. Yeah, definitely. He has the uh, black he he started out with black shorts with the red sash and the black shoes, but by now after like 20 years, he looks more like a gritty action star, like someone from the Expendables. So they sort of grew him up over time. Oh, that's cool. nice that Johnny Cage kept his skills up. I'm really proud, <laughs> he has. I'm really proud of him. I, I mean, we, it's a whole thing, but in the new ones, um, you know, they met their past selves so and, and, and all that kind of good I'm stuff. I'm glad so. that he's not been stymied by lower back pain that plagues us all. <laughs> I'm sure he still has it, especially since, you know, they're breaking each other's spines every year in this tournament. So. Yeah, Johnny Cage has got to do a lot of work on his hip flexors. I'm so glad you mentioned that because he is specifically known for his signature move, which is doing a split and punching another character in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of combat sports would be better with groin punches. I don't know why we turn our nose up at groin punches. That's, that's what Rebecca's always yelling in the crowd. Punch him in the groin! Whenever we go anywhere to see any fight. That sounds like me. It's I a definitely good move. Remember, I definitely remember saying it's that. It's a good move. I don't know why we don't do it. <laughs> One more note here uh, that's Mortal Kombat related. I just had to mention 
In researching Johnny, I saw that Sub-Zero from the game, the Blue Ninja, did Shotokan Karate. No, no, he didn't. (laughs) Sub-Zero wasn't out there doing exercise karate with me at the YMCA, which is what I was doing, which is Shotokan Karate. I was not doing Shotokan... No. Either either he was wrong or you were. Yes, we were. Sub Zero was not doing what I was doing. Okay, I'd be a, you'd be talking to a different person right now if me and Sub Zero were doing the same kind of karate. I promise you that. I was so indignant when I read that for my past self. Like, are you telling me I should be making magic ice balls and stuff? No. You just you you quit after Orange Belt. So I guess maybe so. you just missed oh, the part where you Oh, should have stuck around for our green belt. That's when we make the magic ice. <laughs> That's what I heard. We'd yeah. be freezing people and blocking grappling hooks and stuff. You you missed it. Yeah, you were. That sick was the that real day. test. You were out sick that day. Number two. And as usual, the world champion was not at a loss for words about Rocky Balboa. Look, I know a lot of people out there want to see me in a rematch with a timid fellow who calls himself the Italian Stallion. But this man does not have the honor to meet me in the ring. Or is it Scallion? Now listen, What's his name? fairness, Apollo. What Rocky is your name? Now- All right. At number two, near the top, but this is my top pick, I pick Apollo Creed. <laughs> what is it about comedy nerds and nerds in general, just the, you know, nerds of the nerd variety like us, that make us makes us generally dislike sports, but love fictionalized sports narratives. I don't narratives. know. I, I don't, don't know, but it's a thing. I saw Michael Ian Black talking about this recently. He was saying the exact same thing, and it made me think that is so true. I love Friday Night Lights. I love the uh, whatever the HBO NFL thing is. I love all the documentaries they've made about local sports teams. I have no idea why that is. Yeah, so if you're a nerd and you've not ever watched the Rocky movies because sports, please go remedy that because you will you will love it. Um, One of them has a robot in it, for God's sake. <laughs> That'll help you. And I mean, it's the same thing. I think it's a lot of the same reasons why we love like wrestling um, because it's not like mm-hmm. we love the sport. No, it's character distilled to its pure, purest form. It's what you they're know? bringing to the field. This is just where you you see people's character at their rawest, but we know what what's, what they're carrying with them into every play and yeah. what it means to them for this extra yard or this extra hit. Yeah, like yeah, the 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 purest form of motivation, and then you know the the most simple way of measuring whether you yeah. whether you've gotten somewhere. We, you know, we did you win or not? So clearly, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's all of the other trappings are larger than life and completely overblown. Mm-hmm. And so it's just great storytelling, And there's right? a built-in audience and forum to recognize it. It just feels heightened. It's great. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just like There's a, literally a band playing a fanfare for whether you get it or not. <laughs> right. So Apollo Creed is a figure throughout the Rocky series, played by Carl Weathers. Um, and when the film begins, the films begin, he is the undisputed heavyweight champion in boxing. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're like a very tuned out, you're like, what is Rocky? Is that It's boxing. Okay. I'm not a fan of boxing either. Like, I don't like to watch people hit each other. You know boxing fun. like Balrog from the Street Fighter video games. <laughs> yes. Just like that. Um, but of course, Carl Weathers playing Apollo Creed, he is a celebrity not only because of his competence in the field, but but also because of his extreme charisma, right? And I guess the reason that I would just pick him in general for like my top pick and our, our number two pick is that he's really an example of celebrity as just this crystallization of a perfect sentiment at a perfect moment in time. I think that there is no human being who has ever experienced a finer moment in history than... Apollo Creed having his fight entrance in Rocky IV. Mm-hmm. And of course, the fact that this persona and that moment and that moment in time carries with it this like, the hubris that makes it both fuel for the fire of fame, but then also an accelerant to his demise. Yeah. Makes it all the more beautiful and interesting. There's really not even more. Like, I love the character. I love that they've kept it going uh, with the new movies with Michael B. Jordan playing his son, Adonis Creed. Um, the character and the legend lives on. And just fantastic. And that, it's fantastic those, and those are legitimate movies in their own right. Those are oh, yeah. very good movies. I've, I've, we've, I've really enjoyed those. Those are, those are super good. And again, 
I viscerally don't enjoy boxing. I don't like watching boxing. I'm like, why is the man hitting the other man? <laughs> don't do it. Can't you settle your differences with some yard work or like, you know, like, I don't know. But these are such compelling stories that you like, you really get sucked in. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like celebrity knows no finer form than Apollo Creed. Okay, before we name, before I name our top celebrity, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. All right, I've got a few. Um, I didn't put her on the countdown, but at some point, I'm going to do a deep dive on Jim from Jim and the Holograms. Yeah, it will happen. That's a really good one. Just not yet. Just yes. not an example of celebrity in this place I wanted we to talk about. We have some other about, categories where that would uh, be a better context for her. I also give you, with double identities, Hannah Montana. Yeah, that's a good one. I I'll, thought about that one. I was gonna, I was gonna raise you, Cheetah Girls. Cheetah Girls, and then I would also say a deeper cut. We've got Stevie, the celebrity on the episode of Saved by the Bell. Oh, where you know, do I miss my old life or do I want to perform on a soundstage that's trying to look like a mm -hmm. concert venue and it uh -huh. does not? And then finally, I give you the good sleazy celebrity Rex Manning. Empire Records. That's a good one. I actually thought about him too. He would have been a good for the countdown, but I was like, ultimately, yeah. you know, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a big one, but I feel like I should mention it. Krusty the Clown. Yeah. Uh, that's probably even what most people would think about. He, he might oh, even be yeah. the... the um, April O'Neil, who's sort of like a ce celebrity anchor woman. Um, and then uh, finally, um, Vic Fontaine. Uh, the, oh, the, the how did I miss the hologram Vic? crooner from uh, DS9? How no, did I miss? We're going to talk Fontaine. about Vic Fontaine like five more times. Okay, Don't that's worry true. About it. We've been warming up to. He's just we love Vic Fontaine. Okay, that's fine. We love yeah. Vic. I'm sorry, I forgot you, Vic. <laughs> you, you say you're my number one fan. <laughs> so if we were on the holodeck, you get to put in any program you want. Mm -hmm. Who's your number one celebrity of all time? Number one. My number one is the ultimate character actor. It's Matt Hagen, better known as Clayface from Batman the Animated Series. Move it, Lupus. I want all this stuff out of here by sunrise. Ah, oh, Matt, come on. You don't have to do this. You made a comeback before. You can do it again. Comeback. Comeback. From this? Face it, Teddy. Matt Hagen is history. This time for good. He's never coming back again. We got two DC comic. I know. I was surprised. I'm, I'm surprised too. So Matt Hagen in the animated series universe used to be a popular character actor. He was called the man of a thousand faces, but he was disfigured by a car accident and desperate for a comeback. He agreed to do some dirty deeds for a corrupt businessman in exchange for an experimental makeup called renew you, which could reconfigure his molecular structure and could fix his face. Ooh. But Matt gets addicted to it, and he tries to steal more supply, but the bad guy's goons dump a bunch of it on him, and he turns to a hulking mud monster, which is Clayface. That is unfortunate, but I have to say, I would really like to see a story about this Renew You and have it be like a makeup company run by like a relentless lady CEO. <laughs> I want to see that he was, story. Uh, um, he was like... Uh, I think his name was uh, Daggett, and he's like the bad Bruce Wayne. Like in a news story, having a female do it would be really interesting. That'd be pretty cool. Well, yeah, she'd know how to do it. And it would, of course, be like a multi-level marketing setup, too. <laughs> it is experimental and was not tested. Like um, all um, multi-level marketing <laughs> makeups. <laughs> anyway, continue, Clayface. So this is a beautiful, tragic monster story uh, that was a two-parter called Feats of Clay. And it's a pretty clear metaphor for the dangers of fame. You get to see all his um, addictions and crumbling relationships with friends and old flames as he tries to uh, get this situation fixed and become a movie star again. And he's been wearing different faces his whole life and made compromise after compromise. And after you do all that, what else will you do? And can you even recognize yourself? And they take a lot of time to roll this out over the two episodes. And it's just a really, really great story. Yeah, some of the best parts I ever had. Man, you're changing. The ending ties it together really well because Batman 
traps him in this room and shows him clips of all his old movies and he can't, can't stop transforming into all the different faces he used to do. And you can sort of read that as him having like a breakdown when he's reacquainted with his old self and has to confront, you know, how far he's come and how far he's fallen. Clayface doesn't get a lot of action in the comics, but he might be my favorite of the Batman villains. Was, was that, that was not very nice of Batman, was it? Stop it! Look at the naked. Look at what you used to be. No. No. Turn them off. You can play those roles again, Hagen. Let me help you find a cure. I was like, Batman, that sounds a little tortury. <laughs> well, there was even a scene in that episode where Clayface was almost about to get fixed, but Clayface had done some bad stuff on the way to get there, so Batman interrupts the process, and so Batman also was not nice to him during that, too. Come on, Batman, you you're let killing him fix me. fix it and then take him to jail. Seriously. Anyway, I love a good tragic monster story, and this one is a great one about how you can become one yourself if you really stick to it. If you if you are really that hungry uh, and relentless for fame without thinking about your relationships and what kind of person you are along the way, um, this is a good warning story for you. You know what I'd have given for a death scene like this? Too bad I won't get to read the notices. That's a, that's a really well-rounded and well-thought-out list. I'm not sure what I expected, but, you know. I think so, too. Like like I was saying, I think that one was particularly challenging for me, but I was really um, happy to have to stretch and pick some strange stuff and maybe think about some of those things a little bit a little bit differently. We didn't even scratch the surface, so I feel there'll definitely be some good subtype episodes that can come out of this, you know, like different categories of things. I think so, too. I think so, too. And these were specifically... Uh, fictional ones so maybe athletes or stuff like that i think i think that yeah, would be good athletes singers actors real celebrities real celebrities yeah. yeah real celebrities as represented in oh yeah, yeah that's a great idea we're gonna do all that we'll do all that <laughs> If you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Rebecca, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows. Like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, we'll have a Halloween special coming out this year in just a few short weeks. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and